Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's day 346 of our daily walk through the Word with Jesus, one chapter per day. We're on a three-year journey through the Bible, and we're glad that you're joining us this morning for Judges chapter 11. My name is Michael Talersio. I'm the pastoral intern here at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and we've been walking through the book of Judges. We're about halfway through it, and if you recall, we've seen this cycle playing out over and over again, where we could characterize it by five R's. We have the people of Israel being in the promised land where they're uh, meant to live and to dwell and to experience God's goodness. In fact, what they're doing is they are rebelling against God. So if we're looking at this cycle here at the top where things are good, what the people are doing is they're rebelling against God. And that's leading them into a state of ruin where the people whose false gods they're worshiping are oppressing them. And then in that ruin, in that state of ruin, God's people call out to God. We might call it repentance or maybe really remorse, but they're calling out to God in that state of remorse and repentance, and God is sending rescue. He sends rescue through a judge that he generally raises up and puts a spirit on to deliver his people from that oppression. And then that leads them to experience rest in the land. So there's this cycle of rebellion, which leads to ruin, which leads to remorse, or maybe repentance, we might call it. That leads to rescue from God, and then that leads to rest in the land. And that cycle is playing out over and over and over again. And it's playing out in a declension where it's actually getting worse and worse over time, such that even the judges are getting increasingly more... There's more problems over time with the judges, let's say. Now, to be sure, the judge that we're going to be reading about this morning, Jephthah, is a man of faith. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11, that God describes Jephthah and the other judges that we've been reading about as men of faith, uh, Deborah as well, a woman of faith. But the judges, as we read through the book of Judges, are getting worse. There's more glaring issues with them. And we saw some of that with... Abimelech, who actually wasn't really even a judge, he was kind of a self-declared judge, being the son of Gideon, who we saw some problems with. Uh, And now we're going to see some even more obvious problems in Jephthah. So we have a man who we want to emulate in some respects, as we'll read about him today, but in other respects we don't. He's not an example for us in some clear ways. So we're going to need God's help as we read this text to know what we want to emulate and what we don't. But even more than that, we want to see how this text is pointing us to the perfect judge, Jesus, the one who we always want to emulate, and really the one who we need to save us, not just the example that we need, but the Savior that we need. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us in that regard. Father, thank you that you've given us Judges 11. We need it, Lord. We need this passage of Scripture to correct our misunderstandings about what it is like to honor you and to live for your glory. And really, we need this Scripture. We need your Spirit as we read this Scripture to point us forward to the Savior who came after this passage was written uh, and who we're waiting for, for his return, really. We need him, Lord. We need your Spirit to enable us to see him and to long for him and to hide in him and to be saved by him. And we need we need this because we need a Savior. Thank you that Jesus is the Savior. May we see him clearly today and be changed by him to be the kind of people you want us to be for his glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Judges chapter 11. 
beginning in verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, where worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land, from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sihon gathered all the people together, all his people together, and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Aroer and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. 
the Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering." So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from a rower to the neighborhood of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. The passage begins with Jephthah being identified as the son of a prostitute, the son of Gilead, who had other sons by his wife. And those sons didn't like the fact that Jephthah was the son of a prostitute, and so they disinherited him. They sent him out from the land of Gilead where he lived, which was part of Israel. So Jephthah is part Israelite through his father Gilead and part foreigner, kind of like the Samaritans were at a later point in Israel's history. He's not really considered a full Israelite by his brothers. And so at the beginning of today's passage, what we read is that Jephthah's own brothers have driven him out of the land. And if we recall from the beginning, from really the verse 6 of chapter 10, the people of Israel are again within this cycle where, as, as we were mentioning, they're kind of at the bottom. They're in the place, the, the, the point of ruin on that cycle. And they're, they're kind of a, a few spirals down. Uh, and they're realizing that they need help to fight against the Ammonites, who are the people group that are now oppressing them. And they know that, uh, that Jephthah is a good soldier. He he is skilled in warfare. And the judges were really, they, they weren't really legal judges, like somebody who would preside in a, in a court, but they were, they were skilled soldiers. They were like guerrilla insurgents who could deliver a group of people from oppressive, an oppressive army. And so they're looking, if we note at the end of chapter 10, they themselves are now looking for a judge. 
the Lord isn't specifically appointing Jephthah as their new judge to save them at the beginning of this chapter. They are looking for a judge themselves. They're looking to appoint one. So they go to Jephthah and they say to him, hey, we will make you our our lead if you will deliver us from the Ammonites. And we get a glimpse as to Jephthah's character here. As in verse 8, as the chapter opens, uh, he says, Verse 9, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. So Jephthah, from the outset, is uh, he's sadly being ostracized from God's people uh, through no fault of his own. But we also get a sense in which he wants to be the head of the people, of his brothers, of his family. He's not looking only to drive out the uh, the Ammonites and t- to receive inheritance in his land. He's, he wants to be the head of the of his family and of of the people of Gilead. He wants to be the head. Now there are some really good things about Jephthah, and we see that in particular in how he responds to the Ammonite king's complaint that Israel has taken over the Ammonite land, and the way that we see that is through through Jephthah's knowledge of the the Bible, really, the, the Bible up until that point when he was speaking, when he sends these uh, messengers to Ammon, to the king of Ammon. Um, he knows the history of God's people. He knows that God had called Israel to go into the land of Canaan and to take possession of it, to fight against different people groups. And he knows that God has given them the land and that it is... They have every right to be there because it's the God of heaven and earth that is giving them the land. He also knows that the people of Israel weren't unfair uh, and they didn't overstep any boundaries. They didn't go beyond what God had, what he had said he would give them. For instance, he mentions how the people were looking to pass through Edom and in verse 17, he begins, Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Jephthah is able to point out that Israel really did nothing wrong in the way that they proceeded into the promised land. God did not want his people to take Edom's possession from them. And so when Edom refused them passage into the promised land, going through Edom into Canaan, God said, don't go in. Respect that. That is their territory. I have given Edom to the descendants of Esau. Edom's name, Esau. Esau's nickname was Edom. And so God's people acknowledged that they weren't... Jephthah is able to acknowledge that God's people didn't go into places that God hadn't directly given them. He also points out that God's people has had possession of these places... Ammon in particular, for 300 years now. So it's three, 300 years later now, this king of Ammon is going to complain that the Israelites have taken over territory that might used to have been Ammonite territory. It's, it's just totally ridiculous that he's complaining about this. And so we see a, a great example for us in how Jephthah handles this matter. He, he appeals to God's word. He appeals to logic and reason, to, to really reason with this king of Ammon. And he's, he calls upon the Lord there in verse 27. I, I have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. 
the king of the Ammonites doesn't listen to the words of Jephthah. And then we immediately see in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord descends upon Jephthah. The spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And now, let's skip down to verse 32. It says, So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. Now, that's the way that the text should read, right from verse 29 into verse 32. And I don't mean that it's wrong for reading as it does with verses 30 and 31 in there. But what I mean is, Jephthah didn't need to do what he does in verses 30 and 31. So it's good that they're recorded, that it's in God's word. God's word is exactly as it should be for us. But the fact that Jephthah did what he did in verses 30 and 31 not only don't fit with the way the narrative could have played out, but they don't fit with the way that the narrative should have played out. The vow that Jephthah makes in verses 30 and 31 is not a good vow. Not at all. Let's look at it. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, some have tried to downplay this vow that that Jephthah has made to the Lord here. And they've tried to suggest that Jephthah doesn't really mean that he's intending to kill offer up as a burnt offering whatever comes forth from the the doors of his house when he when he arrives back there but the text is clear the word used here in the hebrew is the same word that is always used for burnt offering i believe it's pronounced ola though i have not taken uh, hebrew yet and i know that does sound spanish Uh, but o-l-a-h It's used throughout the whole of the Old Testament as a burnt offering. And in fact, the footnote there where it says um, in verse 31, I will offer it up for a burnt offering, it it points out that it could, in, in fact, maybe should be rendered as him. Because we're not just thinking of an animal even. Jephthah is willing to offer whatever comes out as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's a problem. That's that's a rash vow. The Bible talks about rash vows. This is the classic example. And problematically, tragically, even though God gives victory to his people, to, to Jephthah, and even though Jephthah didn't need to make this vow in order for the Spirit of the Lord to already be upon him and to prepare him for victory, Jephthah not only makes this vow, he follows through on it. And that's why he's heartbroken when he sees his daughter as the first thing that comes to him from the gates when he arrives at his house. And he laments seeing her, though it should have been a a glorious occasion, him returning home and being able to share with joy how the Lord has blessed him and provided for him. He intends to follow through on what he said he would do. And he does. Verse 39, and actually the middle of verse 39 tells us, that she returned to her father, Jephthah, who did with her, his daughter, according to his vow that he had made. Now, God expressly says in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5, that it's an abomination. It would be heinous 
and a complete evil for his people to offer up one of their children or any of their children to him as a burnt offering and sacrifice. He says in Jeremiah, at a few points in Jeremiah, that it doesn't e- didn't even come into his mind what the Israelites in Jeremiah's day were doing by offering up human beings, their, their children, in sacrifice, that it was so wicked and corrupt. God, it didn't even enter into God's mind that they would that they should do that. Just a way of God stressing that that was that was wicked, and so what we have here is Jephthah following through on a vow that he never should have made, an unlawful vow. And the problem was that Jephthah was viewing the God of Israel, Yahweh, as though he were like one of the transactional deities that. Pastor Jason pointed out to us from chapter 10. See, the people were worshiping false gods, the Baals, the Ashtoreth, these gods that the people would try to buy and say, I'll give you this, I'll do this for you if you will bless me in this way, if you will uh, bless me with, with rain for my crops and fertility and productivity. And God, Yahweh, the true God, is nothing like these false gods. He's not a transactional deity that we can buy off. And Jephthah made the mistake of approaching God in that way, even though God is not like that, and even though Jephthah didn't need to do that in any respect in order for God to already put his spirit on him and prepare him to lead his people out from the oppression of the Ammonites. God wants to rescue his people, and that's why we see his grace so clearly in sending his spirit to deliver his people under the leadership of Jephthah. Jephthah's really the problem. Jephthah gets in the way with this unnecessary vow where he's trying to buy the Lord's favor. We're not people that ought to think we can buy the Lord's favor. God doesn't want us to try to buy his favor. And one of the ways he shows us that is by sending someone to us who would, just like Jephthah himself being an outcast and being disinherited, would be disinherited by his own people for no fault of his own. It's because he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Just as we've learned from our Sunday sermon on John chapter 1 from Pastor Jason. Jesus came to his own people and his own people rejected him. They disinherited him. But the amazing thing is that Jesus is the only one who was ever qualified to serve as a human sacrifice for God's people. One who chose to come into this world in the first place, knowing ahead of time that he would come as a sacrifice. God the Son, along with the Father and the Spirit, decided that the Son would be the sacrifice for God's people that would cover wicked sins even like Jephthah's in today's passage. He was the only one qualified, the only one who was perfectly suited to be a sacrifice. And God the Father, in order to show his great power and his great glory and his great grace and his great justice, would raise Jesus from the dead after he died on purpose to save God's people. So if you've ever made a promise to God, that you shouldn't keep because it was a bad promise, know that you can go to him in repentance and in faith in the one who came to deal with your sin and your bad promise and you're treating him like a transactional deity and he will forgive you. Jesus came and died and rose again to make his people right with his father.
So let's go to him now in prayer and thank him for this and ask for his help to live in light of it. God, thank you that you have thought of everything, Lord, and not only thought of everything, Lord, but you have covered your people in great grace. You've given us the opportunity to come to you in repentance. For those times where we have not lived in light of who you are and what your character really is like, we ask that you'd forgive us and we thank you that in Jesus we have that forgiveness. We have that right relationship with you that we need. We pray that today we would live in accordance with that reality and that people would be attracted to the God that we worship, that they would want to know you because you are so worth knowing and living for. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we make these prayers. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we had a weighty passage today, but I pray that you will have seen God's goodness and his faithfulness and his grace to his people in the midst of it, and that you'll have a blessed day. Be well.